Listening Dog Media. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. The Rugby Podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously. Welcome to Rocket with me, Kieran Bracken, and my co-host, Nick Easter. This episode, we'll be talking about the Owen Farrell red card and his ban, Pat Lamb's comments on the banning of his players, and of course, new players in the Premiership who put their hand up to play for England. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. So Nick, good to see you. How's things going with Newcastle? Coaching, happy the way things are progressing, watching the rest of the Premiership? Yeah, all good, mate. Pretty, uh, they call it the honeymoon period, don't they? Pre-season, although it's when you, you know, you, you're still got to work hard and implement uh, what you want and make use of the time. And this week's been very much a sort of conditioner-led week. Um, so it'll be the third week back and, you know, they're doing a few mental toughness, sand dune running, all that sort of stuff. Bit, so you're not there bit, for that. A bit, you're not a there bit of that. wrestling, a bit of wrestling, you know, revealing the character within the within the individuals in the squad, mate, and, uh you know, a bit more of the sort of scientific conditioning, if you like, you know, the pitch running, all of that sort of stuff along with the weights. But uh, reason for that is it's quite unique with lockdown that, uh, you know, two weeks or three weeks ago when we started, guys were coming back at varying pitch level, uh, uh, sorry, yeah. varying fitness levels. Um, name no names, but uh, some guys kept very fit throughout lockdown and could carry on. Um, yeah. on the tra- trajectory that uh, the SNC coaches wanted when they got in and we sort of just had light skills as part of rugby. Other guys are a bit behind, so I had to do some bit of off-feet, take them away from rugby. But uh, now they've caught fat up club. a little bit. Yeah, well... Were you ever, were you ever in fat club? Were you ever oh, in mate, fat club? I, never I, was, mate, I was always in fat club, right? Until... So I was in fat club for a long time, until I think it was... Was it 2000 and 2009 pre-season. Yeah. From then on, I never made it. I learned my lesson. Um, but, mate, I remember... Um, oh, mate, I remember 2007 World Cup camp having to go into... It was, I was the only non-front rower in Fat Club. <laughs> For those who don't know what, uh, what Fat Club is, it, it's when a player comes back a bit unfit and carrying a bit of weight. And it's a bit unfortunate because some people naturally carry weight like you, maybe like Tony Dipros, those muscle, sort of players. But muscle, yeah. some of the players... Mate, you can't burn, mate, you can't burn muscle in on a bike. You know, I kept saying that to them and they, you know, they weren't convinced. <laughs> but anyway, we got back to Barca. So we'd had a 10... Well, we had a 10-day camp you know with the SBS for the first five days then in Portugal for five days and we had a sort of few days off came back in we'd done the fitness test in Portugal in 40 degree heat didn't uh, cover myself in glory in that but uh, it's never <laughs> been my forte fitness test mate um, and uh, we got back and I was in a fat club which was amongst sort of four other sessions you had throughout the day uh, got up at sort of 6.30, travelled up to Bath Uni where we trained because this was under Brian yeah. Ashton because we were based in Bath and in the hypoxic chambers. So that's when they reduced oh, the, the oxygen. You, you, oh, no, 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 no. This is when they reduced the, reduced the oxygen um, 
in, in the you know so you're basically in a greenhouse, mate, breathing through a hairdryer. A lot of teams use it to sort of get used to playing South Africa in high altitude over here, right. and things like that. And yeah, in there for forty five minute cycle, um, good start to the day. But uh, I, you know, I could cope with that. You know, a bit of hard work, that's fine. Nick, what I Nick, Nick, with, about, mate, yeah. what I couldn't cope with is I had to resist the sausages and bacon. Oh. For breakfast, and you know how oh. well you're looked after nutrition wise when you're in England. Yeah, you are. Unbelievable. Listen, Everything that's anything is there. Boy, you know, goodness, obviously, boy, but to resist the sausage and bacon was literally torture. Do you think in this woke this woke society that we live in, there could be complaints from ex rugby players saying that they were forced to go into fat club? Right, I'm telling you now. I remember Francois Pino. He stands up and he goes, "Right, stand up, take your tops off," and he says, "Right, you're fat, fat club." And he what? He pointed at people in a fat club. I was like, "Oh my god!" I mean, can you imagine that happening these days? Speaking to the agent, I would like to make a complaint about my coach. <laughs> Oh, what are you putting the bins out, Brax? I don't know. Yeah, well, something like that. Uh, so, so yeah. I mean, God, can you imagine? But, 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 Fat Club was uh, was shaming. Maybe call it because they call it boss shaming or something like that. Or yeah. But I, I suppose the big news at the moment, and um, we'll talk a bit about it uh, about discipline on the pitch. Is Owen Farrell as expected? With this tackle on Charlie um, Atkinson, you know, it was a high tackle. It was an obvious tackle. I was quite surprised. I don't know what you thought, uh, looking at his record. The last time he was banned was four and a half years ago. We remember against South Africa a year or so ago with that high tackle without using his arm, which he got away with. Um, but again, you know, five weeks reduced from 10 weeks for good behaviour previously a very good uh, disciplinary record, but also getting character references from Eddie Jones, the England coach, and um, Mark McCall. So I think he dodged a bullet, really. But he, he has got history in this, and he hasn't learned his lesson. I mean, a lot of his a lot of his uh, penalties and yellow, any yellow cards, anyway, have been to do with his high tackle. He's not learned his lesson. I know Charlie slightly slipped, but he was always aiming aiming high, wasn't he? Um, but it, I don't know. Some people have said it's sort of uh, it was like a it was a, it was sort of one of those sentences to to make sure that he was fit for the England game, which you know it was, it was sort of like a disciplinary. Which you, know, was, you know what that reminds you of, Braxton? You were playing here, and I, it sticks in my memory. And that is, and you would have been playing because this is when I was really you know into my rugby. <laughs> uh, was I think it was it was uh, Martin Johnson threw a punch at Robbie Russell, your hooker. Yes. Got banned, and his the, the first game he could come back for was the first Six Nations game at the Millennium Stadium. He got a six-week ban, and everyone was like, "That's convenient, isn't it, mate?" It's not <laughs> like this is the first time it happened. That's like that. Well, that is literally twenty years ago, probably. That's twenty yeah. years ago. The same yeah. thing happened. Now, I always thought it would be about mid-range, and mid-range was sort of six weeks. And you know, there's two ways of looking at it. Look, yes, look, he has been warned for it before, but ultimately, mate, the tackles against Andre Estes and then Isaac Rodder the week after should have been red cards, you know, given the letter of the law at the time and they wanted to stamp out those sort of, you know, sternum sort of head-high tackles, especially what's been going on, in, you know, in France in the last couple of years with the deaths of, you know, you know, a few Young players as well. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't... You know, there was no sanction handed out and, you know, whether you can be cited for that, it didn't happen, did it? This was probably more, less tackle technique, although it's obviously technique still apart, much more out of frustration. 
Um, Faz, you know, he wasn't having his best game, missing kicks for touch and everything. And I think he was just trying to force the issue. And, uh, you know, as you say, you know, it was sort of a, a little bit of a red mist in terms of his technique because he went in with a swinging arm and just wanted to make a big impact. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, he realised straight away he'd done wrong. He was on his back, hands up. God, you know, I've really screwed up here. He checked to see that he was all right afterwards. I know this should never be taken into account. I hope it wasn't from the judiciary um, panel as well um, because the outcome is still the outcome. You know, you've got a young guy who's concussed and probably missed the rest of the season. Um, and, you know, he's going to miss a big quarterfinal for Saracens. But if you look at, you know, a lot of the comments coming out that he should be stripped of his England captaincy, well... You know, I've got another school of thought about who should be England captain and and why it's an extra burden for him. But it's got nothing to do with this because, you know, I've already spoken about Martin Johnson. Wore his heart on his sleeve. You know, he he transgressed a lot of times. Oh, now, mate, that wasn't his first red line, card. Man. That wasn't his he first man. He had a lot. Mate, and he transgressed in terms of violence on the pitch. And Owen Farrell's wasn't necessarily violence. It was a violent t- challenge, um, you know, obviously an illegal challenge. Dylan Hartley had a hell of a rap sheet as well. And then when you look oh, back, you go, right, who are the two most successful captains been? Certainly since Will Carling's here, and Will Carling's probably one of the three most successful captains along with those two. And Will Carling wouldn't have gone near a melee like that. We know what he was like. Um, <laughs> he wanted to make sure that his, his nail varnish was on his, on his fingers. You know, didn't want to muddy them up. Um, but uh, Martin Johnson and Dylan Hartley, two of the most successful England captains, follow me, follow my lead. They don't care if they're hated, you know, but by the rest of the world because English rugby, let's be honest, they're there to be shot down. They're the sort of, you know, they're, they're the bad boys. You know, people can't wait to get stuck into them because of all the privileges that come your way and the fact that we're English is that won't bother him one bit. And I think Eddie Jones probably. Um, pleased that he'll be released for England, but also pleased that actually he's got a little bit, you know, he obviously doesn't want him to challenge like that, but he's got that competitive edge to him. And that's the sort of skipper that Eddie Jones with Dylan Hartley has employed before and wants to see in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the character of the guy that's going to lead your country in, in, into battle. And yes, you know, he can't be going around doing this. He'll know that. No, exactly. And he'll spend five weeks working on his technique, I'm sure, because he's going to be more of a marked man now because it sort of died yeah. a little bit, didn't it, from those two instances we talk about mm. in 2018 Autumn Series. But uh, it'll it blown, be it's a bit blown out of people's minds. I do think it's a bit blown out of proportion. Um, just, just checking your history. Did you ever get red carded? Yeah. Uh, oh, go on. So when was that? I got red carded, mate, a um, couple of times. But, wow. Mate, but, mate, not uh, not in the sort of manly way of uh, John O or Faz. They were both two yellow cards. So, and the, the interesting one's the first one. So the first one was Bathaway. I think I got yellow carded for sacking them all illegally or whatever in the first half. Technical offence, right, fine. We're playing them. It's a cracking game. We've scored... We've scored the fourth try right on the buzzer, right? And we haven't had the rub of the green. This is Bath away, and this is when referees especially were massive homers then as well. So this is 2007, January 2007. Um, and the reason I remember this date, and I, as I'll come to later, so Will Skinner scores a try, keep the ball alive, scores a try, claim for a double movement. That would have been the bonus point, um, fourth try, and obviously the win. And at the time, we're sort of competing for top four place. 
Rob Debney, the referee, I remember the referee, Rob Debney, says double movement, no try. So you said I, something. I shouted a few expletives to him and, uh, you know, along the lines of not really refereeing fairly, shall we say. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and I also added in, no wonder you've only refereed six premiership games. Shut up. The you did the re- not say that. No, you and did the re- not say that. Mate, and the, re- the reason I said that, the reason I said that, <laughs> we used to, mate, oh. we used to get a dossier, right? Um, of the refs. Of the, of the refs. refs. Of this, this, is how, this is where analysis got to at that stage. It was ridiculous. Luckily, now that doesn't really happen as much, although it is important um, to understand the personality of a ref. And we had a guy, a liaison officer, referee, Geraint Ashton-Jones, who used to give the background of referees. So Alan Rowland, yes, Mar- French father, English, or Irish mother, and all this sort of stuff. He's like, man, no one cares about you know where he went to school and all that sort of stuff. But he was so detailed. And then Rob Debney was like, he's going to be under pressure. This will be his sixth game, his sixth premiership game or seventh premiership game. Maybe he'd done six. And, you know, for you some said, reason... You said, no wonder you've only done... So for some oh. reason, the 80th... And this is the 80th minute, mate. For some reason... That stuck in my head. I was fuming because we'd not had the rub of the green and we'd played so well, outplayed them, but had to play that well because obviously, you know, we're playing against 16 men in my eyes. And so I said that and he sent me off. Then we're on the bus back. Dino, Dean Richards was the was the coach. Uh, the, oh, the, he calls me to the front of the bus. And I was in the England Saxons squad. And it's the first time I got called up for England. I got, I'd been called up to the England Saxons, which is England Day, uh, at the beginning of January. And this was the last game before England were due to meet up senior size in the Saxons. And he says to me, and Dan Ward-Smith and Martin Corey were the two number eights in England squad. Dan Ward-Smith was having a bumper season. You might remember him. And he had just done his knee, really bad knee injury, in the same same day at Bristol. And Dino had heard this. Comes me, calls me the front of the bus and goes, listen, mate, you know, that was bad timing. Dan Ward-Smith just popped his kneecap. I think it was a really bad knee injury. Um could have been an opportunity. How we handle this with the judiciary is going to be, you know, critical in terms of, you know, whether you, you know, play for England Saxons and, you know. Well, did you lie? You lied. Further. And uh, so we, have, so I, I went down with England A camp um, and I couldn't train on a Tuesday. So I was stuck on the bench um, due to start, but stuck on the bench, which is fine. We were down in camp in Exeter got the train to Chancery Lane or the train into London. Chancery Lane was where it was held and, uh, you know, pleaded, pleaded guilty to what, to what I'd said previous to, uh, the referee and, um, conveniently forgot about what I'd said afterwards regards to six premiership games. And the judge or the, uh, you know, the, the disciplinary panel heard, heard my case. And I said that I was actually referring to Will Skinner for not being able to ground the ball properly. Um, and Rob Debney was on, uh, I think, uh, conference call and wasn't, you know, was was actually all right about it, to be fair. He sort of said, well, that's what I seemed to hear was that, but, you know, if Nick says this, that's all right, sort of thing. So he was actually quite a good lad so about it. You got it. off then, you got off. So I got off, mate. And I tell you what, Garen Ashton Jones, who was my representative, went down with me and being a referee at the time, was he ex-referee or ref- still referee maybe a little bit as well? And he was a premiership referee. He was saying, mate, the refs want to throw the book at you for this. You know, they want you bound for six six to 12 weeks. Um, and luckily I wasn't. Came off the bench for England Day and then the next week made my debut for England. I remember. And, Do you remember? I, I, and and, it was, and uh, obviously, threat, you know, 
And then obviously went to the World Cup later on in the year. And, you know, if I'd been banned for six weeks, I would have missed the whole Six Nations. Probably wouldn't have been the shop window. Wouldn't have made my debut. Uh, and uh, No career, but, no career, Nick. No, no career. Exactly, mate. I wouldn't be well, on the podcast with you, would I? Uh, but, at least you didn't call him a cheat. I mean, can you imagine? Jesus, what, well, uh, what happened to Dylan Hartley? Dylan Hartley did, you know. And I remember was he, uh, no, he wasn't England captain then, was he? But uh, no, I remember. Do you remember Danny Grucott, one of the dirtiest players ever to play the game? Danny Grucott was playing for Bath, playing at Vicarage Road, and uh, there was a, a mall and it collapsed, and I was at the bottom of it, and, and almost looked at him face to face, and he booted me right in the face, like proper stud through the lip, blood everywhere. Ref sees it, red cards him, right, and there was an England match, I think. Uh, I think it was an England match the following weekend, following weekend, and it was one of those like, oh shit, I've got to go to this hearing. What do I say? <laughs> what do I say? So there was a bit. I think there was a bit of pressure from management. I won't say who England management. They say, are you are you sure it was a kick? You're not thinking it was just like a moving out of the way, shall we say? But anyway, I'd rather uh, not name anyone on that. But it, uh, one thing I did find interesting listening to Pat Lamb in the game for Bristol against Worcester, you may have seen it. But, uh, you know, the argument that he put forward about Piotr's fight uh, that he had with Kitchener, uh, whereby he kind of said, I think it's disgraceful that they get the same ban three weeks for both of them, when all that was happening was Piotr, uh, Seale Piotr was reacting and defending himself uh, and, and actually... And then I, th- I thought what he was saying, I thought, well, that's fair. He was referring it to common law and saying, well, in common law, you're allowed to defend yourself. But actually, I've seen the video now since, and I know Solomon has, has commented on it. But, I mean, what a ridiculous statement for Pat Lamb because it was, for all I could see, Piotr's on top of him on the floor and takes a good old swing at him, a proper swinging punch. And then they get up and it comes into something else the next minute is a fight. So I just think Pat Lamb just looked a bit stupid. Uh, but it is interesting nowadays what you can and can't do. You know, you can't retaliate. And and actually, uh, it, it's there's real blurred lines on it, isn't there, really? Because it's so difficult, so difficult to, to manage, so difficult not to react. Uh, and once somebody throws a punch, you know and I know, when you're in the rugby environment, it's all almost kind of one in, it's all in, isn't it? You're looking after your buddy. So there's a... A real fine line about getting. Yeah, look, I mean, I I think Alan Solomon spoke really well in um, yeah in response it to it the, the, a day yeah. later, twenty four hours later, and uh, you know I actually hadn't seen the incident to be honest, so I thought Pat Lamb, I thought he's got a fair point because we all know that you know why should retaliation you know carry the same punishment as provocation? Um, you know, I'm not saying it shouldn't be punished, but why should it? And, uh, you know, he was talking about self-defence and he obviously made a plea about, you know, the number of concussions he's had. Well, you could argue the case, well, if he's had that many concussions and you're worried about it, why is he playing in the first place? But that's a completely different um, discussion. Um, And I hadn't seen the incident. And since then, I saw the incident. Then I heard Alan Solomons. He's absolutely right. Look at the facts. The fact is, to begin with, Siali Piatel has, you know, got he's standing over Ted Hill, goading him, got him by the collar. So, you know... Not not by what we would describe as physical assault, but you could say that's physical assault, you know, outside of the realms of rugby. Um, and then Andrew Kitchen has gone over to defend him, thrown a terrible punch and missed. <laughs> and, uh, so Siali Ballot Piatel's not really had to defend himself against anything, but uh, no. you know, clocked one. You know, he's he's obviously 
he's um he's a bit of a better scrapper than Andrew Kitchener, and then they've gone at it on the floor. And I think I think the judiciary panel have probably got this about right in all fairness. Yeah. Uh, sometimes so, they don't, and they're criticised for it, and they're only in you know they're only in the media when they are. But I actually think that the the, the, the punishment meted out of both of them is is pretty appropriate. And uh, I think it's all right. I mean, yeah, I think listen, it's never like it's never going to feel fair. But actually, about three weeks is fair enough. I think they're both involved. But I, I guess you've been watching all of the rugby, especially the, the fight for the fourth spot. But I, I thought I'd just get your opinion on uh, a couple of players uh, recently. Firstly, Ben Earl's been outstanding question is i do think you know uh, well he's playing he's playing in a team that like to play attacking rugby bracks you know he's been suppressed <laughs> oh, don't go so kick chase all the time and uh, no <laughs> offloading no he's not he's allowed to offload he's had a roam for he's had support lines keep the ball alive uh, stop the thousands hate come on stop the hate but i tell you <laughs> what so i thought i thought he was outstanding i just hope people like him get a chance we talked about unlikely players to play for for the lions i suppose you know a couple of players be interesting to talk about play for england so ben earl be one billy vanapola hasn't really you know got to the same standards before i don't know whether you saw um alfie barbary scoring a hat yeah. on his on nice his team. debut yeah well, and I heard from the coach, Lee Blackett, saying the reason why he's playing flankers because his, his throwing in isn't quite good enough yet. But we're going to stick him on the flanker so he knows what it's like to be in a match. What about that, scoring three tries? So he's one to look out for the future. I guess if you're a hooker, you've got to learn to throw. Um, but I was thinking um, with the Autumn International or Nations Cup, we now know we've got England, Ireland, Wales and Georgia in one group and then in Group B, it's Scotland, France, Italy, Fiji. So, you know, I'm hoping that in those games, he's obviously going to give some debuts to a few people that we've, you know, we've not seen. I'm hoping a bit like the England football, uh, where they gave debuts to quite a lot of people. I'd love to see players getting the chance. Marcus Smith, I thought, has played quite well recently. He looks like quite lively. Um, so too is the fly half. Uh, was it um, the fly half at Wasps? Uh, God, his hey, Jacob Umo. Jacob Umo. There's players like that. I'd love to see, but I just. I just hope he does it. You know, I hope he just gives them. Uh, who a have we got in our group? In our group, it's England, Ireland, Wales, Georgia, and then you play them all, and then the top of the group plays the top of the Scotland, France, Italy, Fiji. Uh, such a shame South Africa or Japan couldn't be involved, but obviously with COVID, it's it's yeah. it's too difficult. But the one player I would like to—I don't know whether you saw it—which I absolutely loved watching play is the fly half of Bath. Matter Vesey, if that's how you promote Josh, it. Josh, Josh, Josh what? I mean, how good is he playing at the moment? But the funniest thing, Stuart Hooper, the director of rugby, uh, was interviewed after the game about what, what words he had with uh, with him about Josh about the game. Because he went up to him and had a go at him in a joking way. They've obviously won the game. He said, because uh, you may have noticed, Josh, his kicking for touch was awful and his kicking for goal was pretty bad. But that try he scored where he literally... Like uh, sat down, he goes two, through about two or three boys, didn't and he, he? And he sat them down with a bosh. I mean, he, he must be about eighteen stone. He's surprisingly mobile for his size, a bit like Andy Good. But wow, he said, uh, he said, boss, you know, I can kick goals, I can kick for touch, I can, I can knock people over, but doing doing both of them is a fucking struggle. <laughs> you can pick which one you want. 
Um, Wait, did you see it in the Quinns game? I watched the Quinns v Bath game on the weekend. And you might have seen at the end of the game, I think Bath had two hookers Simbins. They were down to 12 for the last five minutes. And uh, Kevin Dunn had to come back on the field because the yeah. substitute hooker was Simbin. So they obviously had a scrum at some stage. He came back on Eagle Simbin. And uh, they needed a front row because they needed to take off another player to bring a front row on and then take off another player. Yeah. And uh, he knew the camera was on him. So he's obviously having a time of his life. He knew the camera was on him. He's like pointing to the lane, just going, yeah, me? Yeah, I'm keen. I'm keen. I'm keen. I'm a front rower. Look at the size of me sort of thing. He's having a time of his life. Look, Bath are going great guns. I know they're that lost to Wasp, but otherwise they've looked really, really strong got a clear identity on what they're doing. And when you've got, you know, shall we say, your sort of second string fly half pulling in performances like that, and Reese Priestland was obviously excellent as well as, as first string on the weekend when he played, then they're, they're high in confidence and things are going well. And, you know, he's a character, mate. We talk about characters in rugby, you know, they're few and far between now, but, uh, you know, he's certainly expressing himself on and off the field. He's smiling all the time and he's having fun. He reminds me of a Nicky Little who was pretty big and pretty heavy and in fat club every now and again. But after the games... Hey, all, 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 all the great players are in fat, fat club, always. Oh, all, yeah, all of course the they players. are. But he used to get his guitar out and start, you know, singing great songs and get everyone... He was, I mean, the Fijians are like that. They're amazing people, aren't they? Amazing characters to have in, you know, in the squads. But I just thought I'd finish off with uh, just a little bit about, um, I'm sure you saw the North v South over in New Zealand, which reminded me of uh, when I was playing, uh, when I was younger, when I was 18, 19, came through the ranks. But we used to have, you played at school, rugby. you had North, you had the North, the South, the Midlands and the West Country. And I remember uh, when I was playing in seniors, I played for the North, went on tour. So, um, I got I got uh, Twitter. One of the players said, uh, "Do you want to buy a cap for the North?" And I was like, "I don't know whether it's a money making exercise." I thought, "Brilliant!" So I bought bought myself a North cap. So uh, not many people That's remind yourself of the glory days or the takedown to. Like, they were great days. You know, and just, it to, just, just to convince them, say, you know, you know, I was good once. I was good I once. Was. Cap. So this cap's going to arrive and uh, I'll send you a picture of it. But it just made, made me think, actually, those are great times because effectively those matches, they call the province matches, were in effect the England trials. Um, I know in the, in the yesterday on year, it was sort of Oxford v Cambridge. And, you know, over the years, they created these provinces, North, South, Midlands, uh, West Country. And you'd play for one of them and you'd have a round robin match. And all the England selectors would pick the England team from there. And it was actually great. I, w- I, do, I do love the idea of what they did in New Zealand, the North. So wouldn't it be great to have a possibles via possibles at Twickenham? Uh, yeah, I think... I, th- I think if you have two teams, it's probably a bit a bit simpler, isn't it? And the product can two probably, teams, yeah, yeah. Probably uh, the product can probably yeah. um, sell itself better, and you know, attract the public a lot better, and also from a selection point of view, be a lot clearer as well, can't it? Um, it's about having that connection, isn't it, to the area? And the thing is, in New Zealand, is they said it's where you're born, um, not yeah. who you play for. Um, I think that's right. Well, no, 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 no. It's it's which team you first represented, wasn't it? It's, yeah, that, that was not where you're born. We've seen first race, so there was a connection there, and you know they've had it before. 
Um, they had one, I think, 2012 or something, so in the professional age before. Whereas, you know, it would be great. It would be great to have something like that. But, look, they don't have as many games over there, mate. You know, you're not going to no, create exactly. a game. And ultimately, mate, with the competition we have here in terms of within the Premiership and Europe and everything, I mean, those are trials in itself. But in saying that, from a, from an England coach's point of view, it probably would break down the selection and clarify the selection um, and help that if you just had two teams. I think it'd be great. You know, you could you could imagine George Ford up against Owen Farrell. You could see yeah. these young players coming yeah, through. Exactly. Ben so, Earl, ben they're, Earl they're, against they're Billy Van Apola. Exactly. They're evenly matched. Um, you know, one side hasn't got the better forward pack and, you know, the other side got the better, you know, wing three quarters or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, it would be great. I thought it was interesting from Scrum Half, without getting into New Zealand rugby, that TJ Perinara has picked the start of Aaron Smith. I think I thought Aaron Smith, you know, in a not a struggling Highlanders side, but not the strongest. I thought he was playing some great rugby in that Aotearoa. Ah. The thing is, he gets the ball away so quickly, maybe because he's short and so close to the ground, but it's his speed of pass is so good. His decision-making is very why good. Was he on the, why was he on the bench? I mean, I know. I suppose it was probably TJ, Bowden, Barrett, who's 10, were you know partnered up at the Hurricanes for a long, long while. But otherwise, I was a bit like, that's, that's uh, a big call, that's, isn't that's it? That's a bold selection there, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. This Monday, myself and Kieran will be joined by Rav Wilding. And here's a quick taste of our interview with him. What I've noticed is how sort of scared of the media a lot of the, the younger lads are these days. So if I was to do a Q&A, if I was hosting an event and I had one of you two lads, it would be great. I could have a great, you know, great laugh. We'd have some stories. We'd have a lot of fun. Nick's stories are a bit are a bit old. They're a bit, a bit dry. Yeah, All right. Well, maybe yeah, okay. he's still he's still bitter about the Met Police yeah. pulling him in. But other than that, <laughs> of course he is. You know. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter, the brand new rugby podcast. Just just lastly, I just want to I just want to ask you what, what's it like being in an England camp when a player gets sent home? You know, Fode and Greenwood getting sent home with England football. You were there, I think. When was it? Was it Manu? What was it like? What's it like being in England camp when something big erupts? Um, yeah, it's it's to be to be honest, something like that when it's behaviour transgressing, um, it's sort of pretty much done quickly and announced. You know, you obviously know it's gone on because players talk, and you know whether it's one of your best mates or the best mates of players that you know you talk. But there's no big announcement, and the person comes up. <laughs> you know, and apologises uh, all the time. Um, you know, it's hardly happened much. You know, I, I know, yeah, we're saying World Cup camp, Manu, um, you know. That Jumped in and went for a swim. That doesn't seem so bad, really, having a cup yeah, of Yeah, that with a police officer. Um, but he was, he, he actually wasn't with us. He was still doing prehab or rehab because right. he had an injury. So he's still rehabbing. And I think the decision was just made and, um, I think Stuart Lancaster announced, I can't really remember, would have just announced to the guys, look, you know, this is what's happened. We know the code of conduct, you know, we'll back you as, as far as we can. But, uh, you know, I had to I had to make a call here and, and people sort of just get on with it, really. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit daft. They've got to realise they're role models. They've got to realise they're adults now. And, you know, especially with COVID. I mean, it's a, it's not the smartest thing to do when, you know, you're not in COVID, is it? Um, no. <laughs> I mean, look, 
we've all tried it beforehand and, you know, it used to go on a hell of a lot more than it does now. But with prying eyes and what's at stake and what's on the line, you just think... Nick, you know, if, 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 if we had the rules that they have in the professional era, if we had those rules during the amateur era, n- there wouldn't be many people, like, staying well, on the court. Put it this way, mate, the England, England team of the 1990s and 80s and 70s wouldn't have been the England team that you see written down in the archive now. <laughs> No chance. Well, on that note, listen, have a great week. And uh, I believe your golf's getting better, so we'll have to have a game. What do you play off? Um, my best my best has been nine, but I'm about 15, 16 at the moment, mate. I've been out of practice for a few years, but uh, we'll get a oh, game. Nine? Shit, What's your, nine? What's your home course? Old Fall Manor. Old Fall Manor up just next to the, the Shire across the road, Savvy Ballesteros. But I'm shit at golf. <laughs> But uh, I'm, yeah, I'm about 21, 20, 22. Mate. That's the embar- that's the embarrassing. Okay, I'll play off eighteen, but I'm shit. By the way, yeah, mate, that's what handicaps are for. They can play against anyone, can't you? You're good at you're good at general knowledge. What's a, a four letter sport beginning with T? Um, you know the answer to this, do you? Yeah. Um, is it is it a regular sport? Ah, oh, fucking hell! It's one of the probably the most played sport in the world. Yeah. Golf. Uh, <laughs> I should have seen that. I, yeah, do you know we were just talking about golf. Down. I thought I'd make it easy for you. But on, uh, I don't like using a teammate. Anyway. Right. Oh, you're that good. You're that good. <laughs> off, off the, <laughs> off the um, tee. I like consistency in my life. Rocket with Kieran Bracken and Nick Easter. Thanks for joining us on Rocket. On Monday, we'll be joined by TV presenter Rav Wilding. And don't forget to give us a review on your favourite podcast platform. See you then.